Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. We are on a mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs just like you take action through franchise ownership, allowing you to obtain more financial freedom, time with family, and ultimately a business that can run on its own without you. What's up, guys? Welcome to another exciting episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. Today is going to be a special treat. Really excited for the people we have here. Friends of mine, new friends, and as always, Dan Claps, but you know, he's whatever. But in any case, I'm really excited to welcome our guest today. Great topic today, great couple of brands we can chat about and really get into how to succeed as a franchisee and things to think about when you're a prospective franchisee thinking about buying a franchise. So Today with us, I have Scott Marr, Caleb Kenner, Megan Taylor. Scott is the founder of Koala Installation, you know, CEO, and now launching a new brand, Wallaby Windows. Caleb Kenner handling the uh, franchise development. And then Megan is the VP of operations. So I'm not going to get into everyone's backgrounds just in the interest of time, but I'll let each of you just briefly introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about you, how you got into franchising, and then we'll take it away and talk about some cool stuff. And Dan, I was just kidding. How you doing, man? Uh, <laughs> I'm good. It's funny, after recording I like 75 episodes, I still don't know where to look when I do these calls. <laughs> I know you're supposed to just stare at the camera, but it's it's very awkward for me. So I... Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll get it eventually. We just got to keep doing it, right? But with that being said, man, uh, Scott, why don't we start with you? Give us your background and how you got into franchising and we'll take it from there. Well, I was going to go ladies first with Megan, but, but since you asked... <laughs> you can do that. I'm rude. Yeah, Megan, go ahead. You fire away. Okay, sure. Well, again, Megan Taylor. I'm the vice president of operations. And so I actually started with Scott two and a half years ago at Koala. And prior to being in operations, my background was in human resources. So I started as a recruiter at Koala and got to build out that department. We were coming in, I would say, on the tail end phase of the creation part of Koala. So I got to be there through the the crazy growth phase and I was absolutely hooked. I loved it. With that being said, I really gravitated towards operations and, you know, Scott put me on the incubation team. So I worked with a small team of folks to essentially take Scott's vision of Wallaby Windows and build it from the ground up. And we learned all the good, the bad, and the ugly to ultimately create rock-solid processes for our franchise partners and create those easy buttons for them to have to avoid the obstacles we went through at the flagship location and just love what I do. Awesome. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. Let's go with Caleb next, and then we can finish with you, Scott. There you go. Yeah, I saved the best for last. Yep. So Caleb Kenner, I've been in franchising for 13 years. Long story short, I, I went to college for a couple of years. I went to go actually play college basketball. And then after two years, I was a walk-on. I was paying for my own you know, credits. And after the second year in college, and I was taking some courses, which were great, astronomy, anthropology. And I just, I was going for business. And so when you pay for your credits, my dad's a banker. He's all about ROI. I didn't feel like that was making a lot of sense for what I was doing. So in 2010, I called my uncle Corey up who had, you know, Christian, you and I talked about this, who had started Complete Nutrition. And at that, they were a pretty young franchise. I said, Corey, can I come work for you in the summer, do an internship? I'll 
do toilets. I'll go work the stores. Like, you just tell me what to do. I want to learn franchising. He says, all right, come on down. You know, he paid me 15 bucks an hour or whatever it was. And that was the best thing I ever did for three months. Because during that time, Complete Nutrition really took off as one of the top franchises. And then I got lucky enough to get partnered with a franchise partner that was opening up locations. And he said, hey, do you want to come work for me in Boise and Idaho Falls, Idaho and kind of run these locations for me? So I took that. I called my dad up. I'll never forget. And I said, hey, do you mind if I drop out of college and go work as a general manager for a franchisee? And I was thinking he was going to say no, right? Conservative banker dad. That's like not a chance. He goes, yep. If you're going to do something crazy, do it while you're young. So I moved out there. And then in three years, I saved up enough money to buy my own location in Twin Falls, Idaho. And then I actually sold the business 2016, 2017 to actually the first employee I ever hired. Jade, he's still running today and I support him. And then I've been in development, you know, really for the last four, four and a half years. And then I partnered up. Scott and I have been talking for a while. And if I'm going to hook myself to anybody, I'm hooking myself to Scott. So I started with him uh, actually this last December. So when he was talking to me about Wallaby and obviously what he did with Koala, this was an absolute no-brainer for me to join. No doubt, man. Yeah, you've had some pretty impressive experience within the franchise world. And you're a relatively young guy like I am. And so is Scott. So Scott, what's what's your story, man? Well, I'm just a business guy. So I started my first business when I was super young. And I was just around a lot of successful people when I was really young. So I come from a family of folks that work for others. So I'm from Atlanta originally. My mom worked for Coca-Cola. My dad worked for Coca-Cola. But all, I would say, not maybe not all, but most of our family friends all were their own business owners. So we had a good family friend that was a home builder, another that was a land developer, did grading and excavation work. We had another one that did a bunch of different things, but one of the primary businesses that he had was a motorcycle dealership. And it was a franchise Kawasaki dealership. And then they sold RVs and other such items. And so he was a pretty good mentor to me. And I was around you know, growing up in the summers and on the weekends, I would work in the motorcycle dealership. And that's when I started detailing motorcycles. And then that evolved into, I started doing mobile car detailing. So I was the guy that would come around and detail your car in your parking lot or at your office. And then that evolved into the mobile truck washing space, which is a, a very niche space. And then we started working with Fortune 500 customers like Ryder and Ryder Truck Rentals and FedEx and other such companies like that. And then scaled that business as a corporate company over the next few years into five or so plus locations, 100 plus employees. And we built a really great name for ourselves and these customers. By that point, we probably had 500 corporate customers or so. And they kept calling saying, well, what about, you know, do you have service capabilities in, you know, Mobile, Alabama? Do you have service capabilities in Dallas, Texas and Savannah, Georgia and Miami, Florida? And the list just kind of kept growing. And finally, after a while, you know, I don't come from money. I mean, we had built a ton of debt and we had a great business, but we had built up a ton of debt. And I said, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so that's when I learned franchising. And we franchised the concept at that point and did a refranchise on several locations. So we essentially sold 
handful of our corporate locations, paid off all the debt, and then just really pushed the accelerator down and started to focus on just being a you know a world class franchisor. And so, so we did that for the next several years, and then knew that I wasn't going to be done, so wanted to get into a larger space that had more opportunity than mobile truck washing, which it's a good business. It's a couple billion dollar year industry, but you got to take a pretty sizable piece of that pie to build, you know, what I would consider a big enterprise. And so I wanted to get into something that you didn't have to take as large of a slice as a percentage to build a big enterprise. And so ultimately landed on insulation, knew that I wanted to be in home services, but insulation just seemed really ripe for disruption. It was very fragmented space. And so here we are today. And We've built a really nice insulation franchise system that's national, and we're right here on the front end again, doing it with Wallaby Windows and doing it with some really wonderful people on the team. So, so really excited about where we are and what we built. Thank you for sharing the background and for everyone who's sharing their background. And Scott, let's piggyback onto the team. You mentioned having a great team. And as I've gotten to know you and as someone I've always admired and look up to as a franchisor, I've found that you've always... You have a pattern of surrounding yourself with the right people, the right partnerships. Can you touch on like, what do you think your your secret sauce is when it comes to recruiting and maintaining great talent within your organization? Oh boy. There's a lot of things that you have to really look at in people and different people for different roles. So yeah, not everybody is going to be a rock star. Not everybody has to be a rock star, but you definitely have to have your rock stars. Right. And interestingly, the people that I've kept really close to me over the years, they have this sort of je ne sais quoi, if you will. Right. They just have something that is there that might be a little hard to describe. But one of the things that I've identified is that these folks are folks that will often handle something or solve a problem before it's a problem. They're just always a step or two ahead. There's a lot of different things to it, but I like to find folks that not only have a good work ethic, and look, you know, I I don't mean I'm looking for somebody that's gonna, you know, work 95 hours a week, but I mean somebody, you know, that is going to put in good effort, but also someone that has a thinker, right? So that they're working smart and sure, you know, we all work hard from time to time and we all have to put in a lot of hours, but I don't want somebody that has to put in 95 hours a week to keep up because they're not going to do that for very long. They're going to burn out. So hopefully that answers your question, Dan. Yeah. And I think that there's a certain it factor that it, there's hard, it's hard to place your finger on what it is, but it's one of those things where you know it when you see it. And I think something you were describing was the fact that you're looking for people that take initiative. They're not waiting to react to a problem. They're being proactive versus reactive. They're getting ahead of it. And I think that it's sad because that's an exceedingly rare quality out there. And I think those people that do take that initiative and that do seek to be proactive really do make a huge impact. And one thing I wanted to touch on, Scott, I mean, I think you're being a little modest there when you're talking about the success of Koala. Koala is a massive brand for those of you that haven't heard about it. I mean, how many units do you guys have at this point, Scott, or territories? We're very, very close now to 400. We're within just a handful of units. Yeah, and you guys are just absolutely crushing it. And the franchisees seem to be happy, doing well. 
putting up insanely great numbers. And so very, very impressive. And for those, I heard a stat, Dan can back me up. He and I both quote this stat a lot, but you know, the average length of time it takes for a franchise company to hit a hundred units is 10 years. And then only 5% of franchises ever hit that mark. So you guys have blown way past that. So this is like one of the big success stories within franchising, but maybe it's a business or an industry that most people wouldn't have considered. So Scott, just we'll go back to you real quick. And then Caleb and Megan, if you want to add anything to this, but when it comes to like insulation, I think a lot of people are wondering like, why that? You know, they think franchising, they think food or fitness maybe, but insulation, I mean, what was it about insulation that really got your gears going, right? Sure. So I wanted to be in a space that, so look, I don't like fads. I like things that have been around for a while that are going to be around for a while. Uh, And this isn't the first podcast that I've said that on because that's something that is very near and dear to me. I'm a simple-minded fella. I need things that I can understand and wrap my head around in 20, 30 seconds. If I can't understand it in a very short period of time, then it probably just isn't for me. So insulation is something that really spoke to me. I've renovated multiple homes in both scenarios. I had insulation installed in them and the experience was way less than desirable. So then, of course, I look at it and I put my franchisor hat on and I say, okay, well, who am I going to compete with as it relates to other franchisors? And I looked in the space and there really wasn't much. And I said, okay, I have the opportunity to be more or less first to market. And so that was exciting. But then it made me question, well, does that mean that there's not as much opportunity as I think in insulation? Maybe there's not as much service opportunity for our future franchise partners to have. And so I started doing a lot of research and just realized it was ultimately fragmented. And I know that's a cliche word that's used a lot, but the insulation industry generally is very small, built up of mom and pops. And there's one kind of major corporate aggregator out there. Basically, they're just a a buy it machine. And that was really it. And so I thought, okay, and I'm an efficiency minded guy. So I like things that are efficient, efficient processes, procedures, efficiency and workflows. So naturally, I'm not like an engineer or anything, but insulation just made a lot of sense to me. And insulation is, look, it's not sexy, but what we do and the idea of insulation is really noble, right? We're helping people, we're solving a problem, we're making their lives better, we're making their world more comfortable, we're saving them money. It's just something that we could feel good about, something that I could feel good about. Because I, you know, for me at least, I, I have to sell something that I think is going to be around for a long time. Because if, if not, I'm just, I'm huge on integrity. And I'm like, if I can't sell it and feel damn good about it, I don't want to sell it. Like, that's just not who I am. And so, Insulation, even though it's out of sight, out of mind, it was something that uh, that just really stuck with me. And and the space is really large too. I was my jaw literally hit the floor when I realized how large of a space it was, because it was a lot larger than what I than what I even thought it was. So that's my why for insulation. So you do an incredible job building and continue to do an incredible job building the insulation business, and decide it's time to add an additional brand to your portfolio. And I guess, I guess that was the mindset, you know, insulate, you, you wanted to be front and center with the windows because you could see them. Mm-hmm. That's right. No, I'm just kidding. But I'm sure yeah, they so, complement yeah. each other in a, in a great way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's all part of the building envelope, right? So 
it made a lot of sense. And for us, we wanted something that we could ultimately cross sell between brands to the same exact end customer. So while it's neither are necessarily recurring revenue services, it allows us to, you know, to cross sell from like a big data standpoint as we start to have crossover in markets between different franchise partners, we're going to be able to, you know, to essentially lack of better terms, recycle leads and sell them another service and help out a a new franchise partner. And we just feel like we can do that over and over and over again with other good brands. And I think I'll just add to that from a standpoint of, you know, when, you know, Christian, you were kind of talking about when, when brands are building or they get to a certain point, whether they get to the top 5% or maybe they've stayed status quo for, you know, they've been at their 50 units for, you know, 10, 15 years. I think the one thing that I can really appreciate about Scott, Megan, and the team down in Florida is they're constantly improving the model. So, you know, they're working on national partnerships. They're adding more valuable employees that'll make a difference for their franchisees. So they're not continuing to operate, you know, like Scott did probably three years ago. They're constantly changing. And and I think I can really appreciate that from, from someone that used to be a franchisee. So no doubt. Yeah. And I think something, Caleb, that, you know, if you could touch on you know, obviously Koala is pretty, pretty massive, but I'm sure, and, and and I know there's still a lot of room left, obviously, but there's, you know, a lot of territories that are sold out, that are markets that are sold out. With Wallaby, wide open market, right? But maybe some people that are, you know, listening, thinking about maybe buying a franchise, they're maybe a little bit more nervous about getting into something that's emerging. So can you touch on a little bit, you know, why would someone, why should someone consider emerging? What's the type of candidate that should consider an emerging franchise? Maybe what's the type of person that should maybe back away from a brand like that? I mean, obviously you have the support and machine and success and leadership of Koala and Scott and everybody else, you know, and I do believe in betting on the jockey, not the horse, but can you touch on, you know, emerging, who's it for, who's it not for, what are the pros, what are the cons? Yeah. So Wallaby, what's interesting, kind of like you mentioned, it's an emerging brand, um, but really it's backed by a proven franchisor. So I think that's really unique you know, about Wallaby, the types of individuals that we're looking for are, are sales, marketing-minded individuals. I mean, this this business is designed as such. And really, Scott designed this and Megan designed this with the executive model in mind. That's really kind of how we're phrasing this. You know, minimal staff, you know, two, two employees, they're professional employees. These are full-time people. You don't really have to worry about the part-time Pete. Low inventory or no inventory until you need the products, depending on the orders. You just need two trucks. And really from an operational standpoint, you know, Wallaby is going to offer the contact center to get things scheduled. We have in-house specialists that will actually help with our franchise partners get in with the top subcontractors in their area, make sure they're vetted out not only from Wallaby, but from our, you know, manufacturers. So that's really what Wallaby is about. And we want people that want to be there from the beginning, right? That want to be what they call the OGs. I know they talk about that at Koala all the time. Like I'm the OG, right? I started from the beginning. And so those are the types of people we're looking for. You know, if 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 someone maybe is like, hey, you know what? I'm not super salesy and, and marketing, but I want more of a proven process and maybe something that's, you know, scaled already. You know, that's why Koala would be a nice, you know, another thing that they could be mentioned to. I really like that OG terminology. 
as I was starting with my brand and I was using the term pioneers and a friend of mine who's a very experienced franchisor said, you don't want to use the term pioneer because it denotes an idea of like, they're going to go and they're going to have to figure it out. And that's not the case here. You have the OGs that just are the coolest in the group. But so (laughs) every franchise candidate, I feel like you can boil down their questions to four questions, which I'm going to ask them kind of in one set and then we can go through each one. I feel like when people are looking at buying a business, it's like, one, how much money can I make? Two, how am I going to get customers? Three, how am I getting employees? And then four, there's already this business in my market. Like, why is this going to succeed here when there's lots of businesses here doing this already? Like, what's the USP? And I think that if you're looking at investing into this business, you you know that you already have figured that out as an organization with your first brand. So can we touch though on on those? You know, how do they get the money question to some degree, obviously, just referencing the I-19. Two, how do they get their leads? Three, how do they get employees? And four, how do they... Uh, whatever the last one is that you had said. But Megan, do you, do you want to start and add any thoughts to any of those questions? And then we'll we'll go to Scott and then hit, hit Caleb. Yeah, sure. So in terms of how to get customers, you know, that's one thing that we really paid special attention to while we were piloting this concept. And ultimately, we have a solid marketing plan that we will share with our franchise partners that is tried and true. You know, it's a mixture of what I like to tell folks is is your marketing in your first three months will look very different than your marketing in the six to 12 month phase or the 12 month plus phase. And so we try to guide our franchise partners through what that looks like. And it's a mixture of, you know, pay per play lead sources. At the beginning of your location, you are buying leads and buying reviews. And it's super important for our franchise partners to get those first 20 to 25 reviews as fast as they can. And we can certainly guide them through that. But ultimately, digital marketing is, is our focus long term. And we have a full plan on where they need to put their required dollars. In terms of employees, I know that the last few years have been volatile, both with the supply chain, with the the job market, and we are no strangers to that. We try to be, you know, up on the latest, greatest trends with that. And so we have a recruiter on staff. And ultimately, our goal is to help franchise partners build their beginning team so we can take that off of their plate and teach them how to do that and guide them through that. In terms of the the markets that we are going into and the competition in those markets, where we started our flagship location is a pretty saturated market. Um, window companies, for lack of better words, are a dime a dozen same as other home service companies. And so we really see our place as bringing a fresh, wonderful customer experience to what we have come to know as an antiquated industry. Um, I know that we all have our own personal stories about subcontractors we have dealt with. And they have always left a lot to be desired, in my opinion. Uh, based off of my experience. And so we think our biggest opportunity is to really wow our customer 
whether it be with insulation or windows, we want to wow our customer with that customer experience. Yeah, it seems so simple. Everyone says, I'm just going to wow them with customer experience. But you're right. If you Most people are in that industry don't answer the phones. They're not getting back to you on time. They're smoking on the job. They're not wearing professional shirts. There's no branding involved. They're not smiling. The tone of how they're dealing with you. I mean, these little things that people think maybe don't make a huge difference at the end of the day make all of the difference. And I think that's where, where you can for sure stand out. So appreciate that. Yeah. Scott, which one of those would you want to tackle? Yeah, so I want to I want to kind of piggyback off of a couple of points here that Megan made. So our market, so we're based in Melbourne, Florida. We wanted to open this right in our backyard, and and to Megan's point, there are many a window companies around here, and so we kind of saw that as like an opportunity to say, okay, well, this is what our franchise partners are going to experience, so we ought to experience the same darn thing, and so that's exactly what we did, and you know, we just stayed resilient. And just very consistent every month with our marketing dollars through thick and thin. And, and it ended up being a really good result. One of the things Megan and I were talking about in the last few days, we were, I don't remember exactly the topic, but we were talking about, well, what if a franchise partner or this, that, or the other? And she said, well, Scott, you know, like, it's not like our market in our first 12 months was perfect. So one of the things that, that Megan and I were talking about was our market's not perfect. We went through a lot of trial and error and, and, you know, our first salesperson that we hired, we really listened and leaned into him in a big way, probably a lot more than what we should have, because ultimately he went out and he was selling, right? So he was selling month in and month out for several months. I say several, like three months before we started doing the installs that he had sold. And boy, oh boy, then we realized he was, he was really overselling promising things that we couldn't deliver, promising things that our subcontractors couldn't deliver. And so we had to deal with that. We had to handle that. So anyway, we went through a lot of those, you know, a lot of those issues ourselves. And, and then ultimately, that's what we built our model off of was all of that trial and error. And so we've experienced what, you know, our franchise partners are going to experience on a daily basis. And those details, those small details, are really some of the most important things in business. And that's that's what a franchise partner is is buying. Like when they're buying they're buying that playbook and you know broad strokes, it's easy for someone to give broad strokes of, oh well this is how you do it. You go do this, you go do that, you pay this marketing company, you put up this website, you use this this tech stack and slap this logo on this type of truck and voila, you're off to the races. But all of those nitty gritty details in between is what's going to really make that difference of, you know, are you going to break even by month, you know, three or four, or are you going to break even by month nine or 10? So that was really just an interesting, uh, an interesting point. And then the other thing I want to mention is, is on the customer side, people ask us all the time, well, do you guys manufacture your own windows or what's special about your windows versus your competitors? And the thing is, is, you know, our windows aren't necessarily special. We buy them from another window manufacturer that other window installers and salespeople sell. And, and really, it is all those details that go along you know, to what makes the customer experience the best that it can be. The way that you, you know, present and attract a customer that's a baby boomer versus a millennial, their buying patterns are different. So you have to appeal to all of those styles. 
So just small things like making sure that your phone numbers are text capable so that if somebody you know does want to text as a form of communication, then that can happen. If someone wants to you know book an appointment you know live, then they can do that versus having to just do a form fill and, and wait for a response through email. So so a lot of those uh, you know a lot of those details like that are you know are really important. So yeah. I like the subtle playbook reference. I don't know if that was intentional. If you're enjoying this episode, please click the subscribe button. And make sure to connect with the Franchise Founders Podcast on LinkedIn. You know, it's interesting because question number four with like, there's business in my market. I think that that's a typical human nature of a first-time business owner, which 90% of franchise owners are, it's first-time business owners. And what, what I've always tried to educate people on is the idea that you don't need your whole town. You don't need the whole market share. You need a sliver of it. And if you're doing it by the book, as far as you're following the playbook of, of, you know, of the franchise, chances are you're going to get that sliver that you need to have a lifestyle that you want to have. And of course, there's people that want to conquer and you know dominate their marketplace. But the reality is there's so much opportunity with just getting a piece of the market in your neighborhood, town, area, you know, territory that you purchased. And Dan, I'll just kind of add to that because from a from a discovery standpoint, right? Like you guys all know about the discovery process that we take candidates through to learn about koala or wallaby. Part of discovery is is allowing these candidates to call the competition, right? Talk to them, see what their experience is like. And nine times out of 10, when that candidate calls you to tell you what the competition's like, it's usually not very good. There's one or two major players, and then it's just kind of like everybody else is on the same level. People aren't returning calls. They don't show up for the estimate. The prices aren't aligned. There's just a lot of fragmented stuff that happens. And so you know, and we'll help guide you, but it's also, it's up to that candidate too, to kind of research the competition in their area as well, to get a gauge on it as well. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, at the end of the day, what Scott was saying was, you know, more or less the window is a type of window that they're not necessarily special. You can get a same or similar window from another company, but at the end of the day, you're paying for the experience, you know, all other things being equal. What would you rather have? Would you rather have same product, same everything else, but a, a shitty experience? Or would you rather have one that is amazing and it was easy, there wasn't a ton of headache involved and they were super transparent and you and you could feel like you could trust them? That does make all the difference. And I think that is how you steal market share locally. So yeah, and, re- re- that and, one of, and one of Scott's mottos is pick up the damn phone. And literally in this industry, that's a lot of what you have to do. And I love dealing with great salespeople that answer my text, know how to communicate to me and make sure that I know what's, what to expect. And that's, that's like Megan says, our focus has been that, the, the user customer experience. And, I, and again, Christian and Dan, like, well, that's not rocket science. It's like, it actually is because nobody's doing it. Well, I totally agree. And it's interesting, Gabe. It's, it's nice meeting you as well because I don't think we ever have met it's just, it's great knowing that like from a development standpoint, you come from a background of business ownership and have that understanding when you're working with candidates. 
You know, it's funny. I call them. I don't know if you've ever heard of the PayPal mafia. Has anyone heard of that before? So the PayPal mafia is there's like four founders. Like I think it's like the founder of you. Don't quote me on this, but the founder of YouTube, LinkedIn, obviously Elon Musk and one other all worked at PayPal. And so in technology, they call it the PayPal mafia because it's like all these people that started these tremendous companies um, worked at PayPal. And so what I call in franchising, you're part of the um, the complete nutrition mafia, which <laughs> which is like every everyone at complete nutrition is just like a, that I've met. It's just amazing, you know. And so uh, that's that's great knowing that you have that background when you're working with candidates. If you're a candidate and you're listening, you know you're working with someone that knows their stuff when it comes to business. That's owned a business, yeah. It's important for sure. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. I think let's talk about you know, how to succeed as a franchisee, right? I think that's what most people want to know. You know, they, they're like, okay, brand sounds cool. Sounds like a great opportunity. You know, they seem like they have everything buttoned up and their shit together. But how do I win as a franchisee? Who do I need to be? What does my day-to-day life look like? Uh, what are the things I need to be doing? What are the things I need to not be doing? What are some of the challenges to expect? So Megan, we, we can start with you here, but, you know, day in and day out from an operation standpoint, what do they need to be doing day in and day out? What are the three to five KPIs, key metrics that they need to be focused on and driving to really win? And 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 what are the, the basic activities every day they need to be focusing on to really drive their business forward? Sure. Great question. So this is a sales and marketing game, period. They need to be customer obsessed. They need to be sales obsessed. And that needs to be their focus. Ultimately, the way I look at this business is the window consultant will go into the home. They will quote the customer, hopefully close the job. And then on the operations end, you know, it's operations job to execute that. So we have a wonderful set of technology between, between the estimation software and the CRM that will help them study how their location is doing. So on the estimation software end, it's a super user-friendly, very visual technology for the window consultant to easily be able to go into the home and quote that customer. I am not a salesperson by any means, but it's something so easy I could use it without, you know, just very minimal training. Um, And then on the other end, we have a tool called a job cost analysis. So generally speaking, our owners should know what their gross profit margin goal is. And that's something that we help train them on at the very beginning of their journey with us. And they will look at that job cost analysis to make sure they are in alignment on the execution piece of their business. Certainly, if they're not, we have resources here at headquarters to help guide them through what those root causes should be. But in terms of of a successful franchise partner, again, somebody who's sales and customer obsessed and who, who can really hone in on that and build a culture at their location that will just just ooze that customer experience and and that customer obsession. Yeah, Scott, do you want to jump in? Yeah, so the other part of, of obviously I agree with all of those points that she just made. What I would say is, look, you know, business ownership is tough and you're gonna have curveballs, you're gonna be juggling a lot of things all at once. And I think that, you know, having somebody who is is really gritty is really imperative 
to being successful in any business. Doesn't matter if it's home services, a popcorn stand, whatever, you know, whatever it is, you're going to have days and, and where you're, you're, you're going to say, wow, what did I do? Why did I get myself into this? And just being really mentally prepared for that going into it and understanding that, you know, it's not all going to be puppies and roses and the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Obviously, you don't know what that's going to feel like in terms of that day in the life until you're in it. But, you know, and everybody's different. So it is imperative to do that validation with other, you know, franchise partners within that system to to ensure that, um, you know, that you're going to you're going to enjoy that. But if you don't like to work, don't get into business ownership. And because it's it's a lot of work. But at the end of the day, it brings a lot of joy whenever you're winning. You know, and, and let me back up a little bit. So we like folks that are really competitive as well, because people that are competitive, they want to win and they play to win. And we want folks that want to play to win. I know we're so coming up on the hour, but I was, when we were, uh, Scott, we were together at the, the Titus Center um, franchising event, selling franchise boot camp. And when we're sitting together, I had mentioned to you something related to KPIs. And what you said to me really stuck out, which was that, or stood out, I, I had mentioned about this desire. And as I built my new company to, to almost like Peloton, like every metric is tracked and every franchisee can see it and it's right in front of them. And I had alluded to, well, I had asked you a question about like, what about profitability? Like, can you show that? Would franchisees get spooked by that and your uh advice to me was that no like you should create a culture that from day one that's encouraged and so can you just speak to the kpi system like if you're a franchisee in your systems they're able to see everything and benchmark against each other right correct yeah so you can see the sales leaderboard you can see where you rank um just in terms of like straight line you know, where you are for that week or that month, whatever period you want to see. Um, and, and, and then you can also pull that down into a subset and you can see where you are in terms of other territories that are similar to yours, like number of territories and time in business and other such items so that you're getting a really good view of actually where you are rather than just benchmarking against the entire system, right? It's not fair to to say, okay, well, let's benchmark my two-territory market to another five-territory market or a market that I've only been in business for four months, but you know this business has been open for 24 months. So we, we give them the data that they want to see and, and they can then sort and filter how they want to within, you know, within their, you know, their own four walls, so to speak. But then that drills down even further into a user-based KPI system. So Franchise partners can then put in the like total job details and the cost of their materials, the cost of their labor, the cost of their fuel, their marketing spend. It calculates in royalty fees and franchisor related fees, things like that. And then it plots that, you know, on a chart. And it's also by job type. So they can then filter that down even further to see, okay, well, maybe you know, my profitability isn't where I want it to be, or I feel like my profitability is I'm doing great. Let's see how I'm doing compared to other people. And then you might realize, oh, wow, I actually have an improvement to make. You know, I'm 
10% off or 12% off on, you know, this certain cog on this job type specifically. And so it allows the franchise partner to just really drill down into their business without having to even pick up the phone and call anyone. They can just look into it and say, okay, what's, what's going on here? Like, let me, and then they can just reach out to their peer in that other market and see, Hey, how are you doing that? What are you doing? Here's what I'm doing. How does that differ from what your process is? And so you're essentially just harnessing the power of franchising. And it's all proprietary from I, I, I right? It's, it's your own system. We're going to have to have our own episode together because we're going to, we're going to lose our audience uh, some of them, but I, I could talk to you about KPI tracking all day long and CRM, but we may, maybe we'll make it a different topic, but that's incredible that the amount of KPI tracking and, and benchmarks that you guys put in into the system. Yeah. And something I want to add to that is, you know, and I'm sure we've all been asked this, like, why, why shouldn't I just do this business myself? You know, how hard could it possibly be? You're not going to have a KPI dashboard like that. I, I don't, you know, you don't have to share any figures with us, Scott, but I'm sure that that wasn't cheap to build <laughs> and in terms of the labor costs involved to get the engineers together to build that properly, make it look all nice. So, I mean, these are like the little things, but again, that make all the difference that they seem little, but they're actually big that really do drive it. Cause if you're a competitive person, you're going to be seeing those numbers and you're going to be like, that's, it's either going to fire you up. I mean, it should fire you up no matter what. But you know, if you're competitive and you're seeing other people kick ass too, I mean, I think that's that's incredible. Before we did wrap up, I did want to touch on because I think this is what most people do want to hear about, which is, you know, they want to hear not just how rosy and awesome it's going to be, which you guys did touch on, but but also like how hard it's going to be. And you mentioned Scott, I think you mentioned curveballs, or one of you mentioned curveballs that will come their way. And so as we as we kind of wrap up here, it'd be awesome if each of you could touch on a Caleb, we'll start with you. What are some of the curveballs that some of these franchisees can anticipate facing? What are some of the curveballs that that you briefly touched on earlier, Scott, but what are some of those curveballs that as you guys were, I almost said the word pioneering, but as you guys were OGing the, the initial you know, business here, what were some of those curveballs that you guys were experiencing that franchisees can expect to, to face? What are some of them that they don't have to expect to face because you guys have already kind of dealt with them at a franchisor level. So Caleb, we'll start with you and then we'll go around. Yeah, I think one of the things I'll just touch on and, and, and Megan and Scott know a little bit more on this, but I think finding the right subcontractors in your area, you know, obviously there's going to be support from the home office to vet out the best ones, but it, it is up to the ops manager to manage that relationship, make sure they're hitting their timelines on certain things, make sure they're communicating. Because as you get started, right, we're going to narrow it down to three or four subcontractors and you might get it to two, you might eventually get it to one, and then we may have to reevaluate to get some other subcontractors in there. So I think that's one of the hiccups potentially right away out the gate with some of our new franchise partners. No doubt. Megan? Yeah, I will say that one curveball that we've already anticipated, we've already gone through and thus created a solution for, you know, lead times have been a popular question with candidates. And so early on in the flagship location of Wallaby, we were experiencing quite significant lead times, upwards of four to six months. And we knew that 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 just simply wasn't going to work. Part of that, of course, was because of the supply chain. But another huge piece of it was because of the supplier and the manufacturer we had first partnered with. And part of our job is to not just find 
any any vendor or partner relationship out there, but to find really good, solid ones. Because if we at the flagship location are experiencing issues, our franchise partners are no doubt going to experience issues. So we want partners who are going to be great at communication and really just just join hand in hand with our franchise partners out there to create a really healthy relationship. So the manufacturer and the supplier we are currently partnered with checks both of those boxes for us. So that's something we have already tested out and created a solution for. Yeah. I'm going to kind of circle back on the subcontractor piece because that is something that we at the flagship location we we did deal with and 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 really the thing is 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 we started out with one subcontractor and then ultimately expanded that to two and then you know we had some issues with that second subcontractor that we brought on just you know just certain issues and so and then we had to then pick up a third one which we we really nailed it with and so just you know anticipating uh, a good curveball is going to be just anticipating your growth making sure that you're not too reliant on any one person if we didn't have another sub in the wings ready to go whenever we really hit our growth spurt that would have been really problematic for us and the other thing that i like to tell folks is look it, it's 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 simple but a lot of people don't do it is always be recruiting you never know who you're going to find when you're not looking for them that is such an important thing that you know, I, I just, I can't tell people that enough is always be recruiting. I'll, I'll give a really quick story. I know we're running up on our time here. Franchise partner. She said, I just cannot, this is with Koala. I cannot find someone to do spray foam. I just can't find it. And I just said, look, they're out there. I promise you just put an ad up and refresh the ad every couple of weeks and don't take it down until you have more candidates than you, you know, than you know what to do with. So she found someone, they got going, everything was great. And I said, but don't stop, keep that ad up. She kept the ad up and she ended up finding a really wonderful person that had just moved to the area. Great candidate, wasn't looking for another job because he quit or whatever. He, he just moved to the area and was ready, you know, was ready to go. And she was able to end up expanding her team, ended up adding an additional foam rig. And, and, you know, obviously increased her, her business's income and her enterprise value, less stress for her because now she has multiple people. So she has redundancy within her own four walls. Just continuous recruiting is something that like I, I try to preach to everyone just over and over again, because it's something that, that, you know, really has saved me many a times. And whenever I was in a, you know, direct home service or excuse me, service business myself. So that's a really, really good tip there. Yeah, man. I think for anyone listening, it's so, it's so, and I did touch on this earlier, but it's so important to really bet on the jockey, not the horse. When you're looking at any kind of franchise, it's, yeah, the level of support is awesome. You want to look at, you know, make sure the numbers make sense for you, make sure that your transferable skills make sense for what the key skills necessary are to succeed in the brand. But you also want to make sure that the leadership team is there, right? I mean, the people that have done it before, they know what they're doing, they care. And it's all those intangible things, but they really do matter. And it's hard to quantify. But 
that's why it's important to get out, meet the team, shake their hand, look into the whites of their eyes and really get a sense of who they are. Because I think when you do that, your gut will tell you one way or another whether or not it's the right opportunity for you. Um, Dan, anything you want to add as we, as we wrap up here? No, I, uh, I think that we could title this episode Anticipating Curveballs because that's what I've heard over and over. I love that. You allude to this idea of seeing around corners. It only comes from experience. That's why you want to invest into an experienced franchise or leadership team because you guys, you really couldn't, when we started the episode about like, what's that special thing? It, it's hard to explain. It's the ability to, one of them is around curve, you know, anticipating curveballs. So I think you've gave us our title, made it much easier because that's always our struggle. Thanks again for taking the time to, to join us today. And if you're listening and you enjoy the Franchise Founders podcast, please do hit the five-star review. Give us a review, hit the like button, subscribe, and help us get to the top of the ranks. You bet. And I'll just, I gotta, I gotta finish with this. Guys, we are expecting a huge year with Wallaby. Also with Koala. Koala's gonna do well too. This is the next gold rush in franchising. Christian, I know you're a West Coast guy, so you can use that. <laughs> <laughs> Will do, man. Absolutely. No, I mean, I think with what you guys have done as Koala, I mean, it's not just you guys saying that. You guys have, the proof is in the pudding. You guys have already done it and built it. And, you know, that's why I feel comfortable sending people that I work with to you guys, because I know you guys take good care of them and help them to be successful. So thanks so much, guys, for coming on. Thanks, Scott, Caleb, Megan, everyone. We'll see you on the next episode. And until then, hope you have a great one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. If you want our help with anything from buying a franchise to franchising your business to anything in between, shoot us an email at franchisefounders at gmail.com.